All right, everybody. Welcome to the 96 Person Bringer podcast. I am your host, Brian Stoops. From the age of seven until I was about 24, I was a professional magician in Southern California. And then for about the last 21 years, I've been focused on courting my wife, marrying my wife, raising our two kids, intensely studying the martial arts, and being a professional educator. I'm still deeply involved with all those things, but in 2020, I started doing stand-up comedy. I've had some interesting results since then. That brings us to the 96-Person Bringer podcast, where I have hour-long, insightful conversations with my comedian friends. My guest today, I just really like this guy. I met him at Broadway Comedy Club. We were doing an audition kind of a show uh, we both got spots. I saw him after that. Super funny. We talked again. Um, I had him on, I think, a couple of shows or at least one of my shows. Um, I saw him murder a guest spot at Caroline's on Broadway right before it closed. <laughs> um, super funny guy. Please welcome to the podcast, everybody, Dennison Sleeper. Dennison, how are you? I'm doing great, man. I'm in... Uh... I'm in outside of Nashville, Tennessee right now. I've been on the road for the past two months. It's really cool. And I'm feeling good. I'm feeling I'm actually I actually feel like shit. I'm a little sick. But other than that, I feel good. And my birthday is in three days, four days. So thank you for my early birthday gift. Awesome, man. So we want you nice and healthy um for your birthday. So we're gonna talk about comedy. So hopefully that'll heal, make you heal faster. Um Maybe. get over whatever you've got a little bit faster. All right. So our first segment, Dennison, um, you know, I had my intro, but this is 15 minutes. I want you to give us your background, how you got started in comedy, kind of tell us your story. You also can use that time to like talk about anything that you want to plug or anything you want to promote. We're certainly going to remind everybody of all those things at the end of the episode as well. And we'll make sure that we get all your links and and usernames and all that stuff for text, for posting everywhere the episode is going to be. But uh, 15 minutes, man, hit us hit us with it. Hey, there's a timer and everything. This is sick. All right. Um, it all started when I survived failed abortion attempts. Ever since then, I've been a fighter. Uh, I was, I'm from Cleveland. I, I started comedy when I was 20. And I actually, this is wild. I found this out when we did the industry room. Yeah. Um, I went to New York for a summer when I was 20. I left college for summer to go do that. And I wanted to do stand-up. And I did a bringer. And it was, I didn't realize until 10 years after the fact, it was at Broadway. It was before Broadway Comedy Club was called Broadway. It was called like The World or something. And we did a bringer. I went to New York. I was supposed to basically do like open mics every week. I did a stand-up class and an improv class. I basically did like four open mics. I like barely did it. I just screwed around. Yeah. Uh, so like the fourth or fifth one was that bringer. And at the time, the way they did it was with a uh, decibel meter. So you, there were like 20 people and the person who got the loudest reaction one, I was 20. I lied and said I was 21 so that I could drink that I couldn't get on stage unless I was drunk. At the time I drank rum and Cokes, which was a terrible, terrible drink. I did five minutes. My two, I basically had two long form bits. One was about me looking like a lesbian, crushed that I looked like a lesbian. 
And the other was about uh, the porn share button. And I placed top three. Top three, baby. So they gave me a, a recurring five-minute spot. I went back to college to finish. I said, I'll get back to it. And then I didn't touch a microphone for 10 years. Okay. So last year, last August, um, a bunch of other stuff in my life had gone south. I was really burnt out. I was 30 years old. And I said, I've been thinking about this for 10 years. I avoided all the things I enjoyed and was good at. I did a one-way flight to New York without a job and stayed on my aunt's couch in her studio apartment. And I said, if I can't do an open mic once a day for seven days and I'm not good at it, I can just write this off in my head. I'll leave. And I did the worst thing, which is I wasn't really good and I wasn't really bad. I was just good enough to keep going that I did Broadway a month later. And then I stayed in New York for a while. Uh, I created my first tour uh, from scratch with another comic, Obri Hananya, because, you know, I turned 31 last year. I have a lot of friends. I went to college. I have a lot of experience. I didn't feel like going through the grind of New York for three to five years, which you, you know, you should. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm going to travel because I always travel. So we bought a little tour car for two months. We did like 25 shows. Went really well until the car broke down. Um, fortunately, the car broke down in Los Angeles. I was out of money. I stayed in a hostel with eight other people, including my two comic friends at the age of 31, which is a good position to be in in your life. And then uh, one night at a bar with my buddy, I met someone who is now my partner for life, however long my life is. And her and I created our second tour project. She's Ukrainian and had never seen the country. So we travel, she does photography, we do a podcast that's all called Insert Town Here. We do interviews with people in different cities and I do comedy as we go. So far we've done San Luis Obispo, California, uh, Charlotte, some other places, North Carolina, Tennessee. I have a show in Nashville next week, Salt Lake, I have some shows. Uh, we'll go back to LA, I think Colorado, and then back to the lovely state of Ohio. So that's kind of where I'm at. Um, it's been a blast, still unemployed. So at the time of this posting, feel free. I have been working on a book. I'm hoping that gets published by January. At least the first draft will be edited. Hey, uh, if you know a literary agent, you know, get back to me. would love that. So that's what I do, man. And uh, that's pretty much the goal. I'll probably move to Los Angeles in March uh, to work on. I submitted a script right before the writer's strike happened. So if you're an agent, also get back to me. This plugs your agents. Plugs for uh, the IRS, just plugs for loan managers, uh, people with too much money, send it our way. Uh, you're not a patriot if you don't support Ukraine. I have a Ukrainian, so why don't you just give us the money? Stop sending it over there. They're a corrupt country. It's oligarchs waste it. We'll spend it. We'll spend it right. Gas, food. That's how you can support Ukraine. And uh, yeah, I think that's the nutshell of how comedy was. I don't want to do your whole 15 minutes. All good. Anything? I mean, you already kind of mentioned a few things, and we'll make sure that everything is available to anybody who watches or listens. Anything else you want to push or promote or highlight in this segment? Insert down here is mostly everything. I mean, it's what we want to do forever. I think that a couple aspects, I travel the country a lot for work and other things. I lived all over. And I think small communities get slept on and they get uh, denigrated by the media and everybody else. And 
there's a lot of oversight for small rural communities. Um, I think everyone deserves a voice and they have more interesting stories. You don't have to be some hipster in Brooklyn or some fashionista in Los Angeles or some edgy comic in Austin um, to be something. I think there's a million spotlights on celebrities with no opinion. I think there's a million opportunities for people that already have them. And the comedians that I've met while we travel are excellent. There's a lot of them who just don't get recognition because they're not in our big city. Sure. So that's what I love to do. I want to expand that project. It's been great being with her because I have the lens of somebody who's not from this country and it's shed light on issues we have here that I've never really thought of and differences between how Europe operates and here. Yeah. I love doing comedy. Really pumped about the book. It's called Commune. Um, book come out in a few months. Everybody buy that book. I just yeah. need money. So you just follow all these things. Watch the YouTube. Watch the podcast. It's a good time. Those are my main things. Awesome, man. All right. Uh, well, let's move ahead then. So again, we on on this show, we kind of have the timer just because in general, we're trying to stick to like an hour long episode. We're never trying to rush anybody or anything like that. And if we're on a good topic, certainly we're going to stay on it. But the timer also does just kind of help us just manage our our time overall and try to stick it's exciting man it makes me feel like i'm on like a game show i like it it's green there's a lot of things going on it helps me stay engaged yeah that comedian part of you that's always like your internal clock and how much time and i mean nobody's gonna flash a light at you but absolutely so five minutes and certainly we can go beyond that like i said but we'll try to stick to around five minutes uh who are your comedic influences and what do they mean to you man i hate it's the same when people ask me about like authors i always feel terrible because it's like you're going to name people that are so much better than you might ever be so it feels ridiculous but i'll start from like you know the way i louis ck 15 years ago was what got me um and we were just re-listening to uh bad words or offensive words or whatever, one of his original specials, but it was massive for me. Uh, Kyle Kinane, I've always been a big fan of. It's good to see him getting some more traction nowadays. I liked John Mulaney in the early days because I liked his storytelling, but I was always watching Comedy Central as a kid. So, I mean, there's a million comics that we kind of forget ever existed. And they had 30-minute specials back on 30-minute specials, something, you know, back when you might have a 30-minute special, one or two for your the entirety of your career. Right. Um Nick Griffin, who's a fantastic comedian uh, in New York, who I could never touch his joke writing style, uh, was introduced to me the first time I did it and was kind enough to just give me a few words of how it works, but kind of one of your legendary joke writers. But nowadays, what's been so cool is being in comedy. I meet comedians that are up and coming who I think are better than a lot and make me reassess how comedy's done. Jeffrey Asmus is one of the bigger ones. I think he's killing it. Um, I've had him on some shows. I remember when I started at Caroline's, so that's, you know, in the fall, there is a series of comedians that are now exploding that I was either on showcases with or got to see. And at the time, you hate to judge by social media, but it is kind of now a metric of reach. And they all had maybe 10,000 followers. And that was like Jordan Jensen, uh, Jeffrey Asmus, um, a couple others that I'm blanking on right now, but made me reassess. Uh, there's a guy in um ohio i'm just gonna double check his name who i did a show with and he just opened for uh sam morell who i also think is um 
not Sam Morell, excuse me. There's another comic, uh, Sam Talent. Mm-hmm. And it was, he got a shot from him. He's fantastic. But I, I hate to delay the podcast, but I need to get Blake Hammond. So Blake Hammond's a Cincinnati comic. He just went skate Skankfest and he crushed it. Jamie Wolf is fantastic. And I mentioned him because he has a, these jokes about growing up with opiate abuse and where I'm from is a huge issue. And I had that issue and I had jokes about it and I dropped a couple because I saw his and I was like, his are just better. So those are big ones, but I would say Louie does it the best. And when I listen to him, it re encourages me to do comedy because what he does is effortlessly move through stories about life uh, and puts them in a very brass tacks manner and doesn't rely on, gimmicks i think all of his jokes are evergreen there's no hot topics um and he's never shied away from being i mean there's only how many comedians in the world who could who could drop hard racial slurs and others i mean just like everything you you can't you get canceled for saying in private he's saying on stage in front of thirty thousand people but it's in a way that's classy and, and well done um I, yeah, I, I can't think of somebody who's done it better. I'd say he's a Mount Rushmore. And then nowadays, I think Shane Gillis is the best mm-hmm. up-and-coming active comedian. His Austin special is ridiculous. His Netflix one's really good. But another comic who also utilizes a very conversational way um, and has a really strong podcast where he comes up with ideas. And I think that's the easiest way for me to form ideas is from conversation. And that was tough about being in New York as I was away from friends. I think podcasting's been the best way to say something funny in conversation, twist it into something. Mm-hmm. And Shane's probably the pioneer of doing it. So really strong, really strong. And then in LA, uh, I got to see a good chunk of comedians that crushed it. I, Chad Daniels I just saw in Charlotte, and he was really, really good too. So that was nice. But yeah, mostly a lot of newer people, but you can't get better than Louie. I'll, I'll, I'll die by that. Nice, man. All right. Excellent. We are going to roll along. And so we'll take about another five minutes. So, you know, in many ways, doing stand-up is hard. Uh, Why do you do it? You know, the attrition rate is nuts. Um, There's all these things. It can be very difficult. Uh, So why do you find yourself coming back to this wonderful art form? I mean, that could be an hour-long answer. Uh, I'd rather die than not do it. Um, I also, like the type of, I I don't, I mean, I've been open about this. My life was not a mentally healthy life, and I was good at stand-up. I'm an inherently funny person. I don't care if I admit that. I was never the greatest stand-up. It takes me a lot of work to do it about how to convey that, but I was not always an entertainer and a conversationalist since I was a kid. I got away from it because I was really good at self-sabotaging. Um, I'm like the, the king of it. So everything I was good at, as soon as I showed I was good, I would just quit and run away. Uh, I tried super intense corporate life. I worked my way into tech startups. I had very high intensity jobs. I worked 60 hour weeks. I made really good money. Uh, I went to CrossFit six days a week, walk the dog, do the things. Uh, and I was never happy. Uh, most of my life really dealt with depression and substance abuse and anger and everything else. And the moment I started stand up, most of those things dripped away. And I realized I wasn't an inherently depressed person. I was inherently out of place in my life. Um, and since I've left, I've just really redeveloped my intense hatred of 
the corporate world of the world at large. I'm a pretty hardcore leftist. I'm a pretty hardcore outspoken anti-capitalist. And I mean, trying to find a real job is just every company's just fake. It's just like a software company that sells software to another software company. That has no meaning. And you see it in people every day. I mean, they just suck up and accept their their lot in life. They don't try to push themselves to do something because it is scary. And stand-up is hard. It's scary. But to me, what I said when I went to New York and the way I was doing it is I had played every card in my hands and nothing had made me happy. And I said, the only thing left for me is this. Um, you know, if you've dealt with suicidal ideations or depression, then nothing's scary. So the first time I stepped on stage, I was like, what's the worst you're going to do? Not laugh at me? I can't give a shit. There's nothing you can do to me. There's nothing an audience can do to me. Nothing. So that fearlessness allowed me to excel really, really quickly. And that's how I was booking places like Caroline's within two months of restarting standup. Um, I, it's also a way to rent frustrations and allowing yourself to be honest. The amount of conversations people have in bedrooms that they don't have in public. And that's what I like seeing is when people laugh. I don't think people get naturally offended by things. I think that they're told they should be. I don't consider myself an edgy comic by any means. Mm -hmm. um, but the funniest things to me are being hyperbolic about broken states of affairs. Uh, and I have most of my bits are about that. But I'll tell a joke and I'll see the audience. And it's not like they're offended. It's like they're looking at one of another deciding, is it okay for me to laugh in this moment? Mm. And that's what I like. But that's that does take craft. You see new comics who come in and they're as dirty and edgy as possible and a joke doesn't land. And then they're like, oh, too much for you? It's like, no, you suck. <laughs> like, it was a poorly yeah. written joke. Your yeah. punchline was just being dirty. And that's not what it is. In the same way Louis, in one of his original specials, is saying two words about two marginalized groups that will get your ass beat in public for saying it. But he's saying it in such a way that is respectful to communities and also incredibly obvious and apparent. And you can hear the audience when they first hear the words. It's a shot to the chest of like, oh my God, he said that. Then he says it and says it and says it and says it and completely reforms how you're doing it. And that's the difference between the best comedian of all time and an open micer is you can say the same thing, but if you don't have tact, you don't know how to do it. So stand-up to me is, is it's the most fun of anything I can do. Everything surrounding stand-up is horrible. <laughs> going to open mic sucks waiting to get booked sucks yeah. sucking up to people to get booked sucks yeah. uh, not hearing back from bookers paying festival fees doing social media editing your clips trying to be on top of it doing all that while you are working full-time and living a life people don't understand i think they look at comedians and they think what a great life well you're talking about points you're one percent of them that have done it for eight years and then they finally get kind of paid yeah um it's it's an insane amount of work but the reward of being on stage for even eight minutes and making people laugh and having them come up to you after, there's nothing better. So for me, I don't have to be selling out arenas. I never will, but I'll do it until the day I die in one, one form or another. Awesome, man. Awesome answer. Um, on this show, everybody, I really try not to I get a super insightful answer like that. And then, oh, let me make things about me. I try to avoid it. So this is your episode, Dennison, you know, and we're, I'm going to obviously facilitate the conversation, but, um, you know, and so just based on that answer, everybody in all seriousness, not to be a cliche, 
Um, if you are dealing with darker or self-harm or suicidal thoughts, uh, there's a major push to acknowledge the fact that those are real feelings and the world is a much better place with you in it. And whatever it looks like, it's really important. Even if you tell one person to get on the road to getting the help that you need. So that's going to be my only little tag, um, to that incredibly insightful answer, uh, because that's the educator in me. If I don't do that, I feel like I'm being really irresponsible, but man, that was a seriously an, an incredible answer. So we're, we're just going to move on from there. Um, so what is your process for at this point, writing and sculpting material? Yeah, it changed a lot. Uh, initially, when I started, everything was kind of old ideas I'd have, and it was off the cuff, and I liked it a lot. And then I thought, okay, well, I got to do the structured writing. So I bought a couple of books, and then I did listing and comparison. I mean, that is what you need to do in a writer's room. That's another thing I think people outside of it don't understand is you can and could make a formula where you can make a joke about anything. I think the best of that is Mark Norman. But, you know, if you want to work in a writer's room, you have to basically make 100 jokes in a day. You can't do that. There's, you know, situational comedians. They need things to happen to them. And you that's, in my opinion, then you're not really a comedian because now you're just framing stories in a different way. Um, what I do is whenever I have a funny thought, I jot it down in my notes. And then I don't write anything anymore. I pace and I talk. So I have to talk things out. I will walk around a room. I'll talk. I do it in the shower. And then as I think of something, I'll write that down. But I don't sit down and write. I don't type extensively. I'm extremely off the cuff. If I need new stuff, uh, I'll do a couple openers and I'll turn to the audience and ask for topics, which is dangerous sometimes because if you don't have an engaged audience, they won't throw anything out there. But I'm a good improver. So at open mics, I'll do that if there's audience. I did it recently in San Luis Obispo and I got like four bits out of it. It's just easier. It's comfortable. Um, that's that's primarily how I've done it. And then going to the podcast has been super helpful. Traveling has been super helpful. It's just conversation, conversation, conversation. For a while, I was reading the news a lot and looking for headlines to lampoon, um, which is probably good for social media, but those aren't evergreen jokes. And uh, I think, not that they're not funny, but most of those jokes boil down to I read this. Isn't that weird? It's kind of like this. Uh, I prefer to get deeper with things and ramble about them a bit. The more I tell jokes on stage, the more I think of things. And a lot of the time I just add a tag in the moment. So my method would be horrendous for the average comic, especially if you're getting started. Uh, truly, I think the difference with me, and I wrote these things down when I started comedy, was what was the advantages I had over another comedian? What were the the cons? The natural cons to me were I was restarting very late. Uh, I'm not the best joke writer. There's people in comedian. I mean, like uh, you you had him on a show, but Eric Walsh, I think, is like just a fantastic joke writer of like right. comedians. I know it's just excellently structured jokes. Like that's not who I am. Um, I'm an entertainer, so I can go up on stage and I don't have to use a joke. I'm very comfortable doing uh, total crowd work shows. I'm happy doing hot topic shows. They're kind of my favorite. That's my advantage. So what my advantage was, was A, it was, I believe it was hard work. And then B, it's my ability not to care. 
And truly, I mean, and I do hate to make it an anti-suicide episode, but I also volunteer for the AFSP. Um, great organization, seek them out. But for me, if you can leave all concerns at the door and recognize that nothing bad's going to happen, your confidence and natural humor will come to fruition if you're one of those funny people in daily life. I know people who in conversation are not the funniest and they're 10 times better than I'll ever be on stage. But because I'm able to, especially being in business for a long time, like everything's very conversational. I had to be a good communicator. So I kind of shed everything and allow myself to get pissy about life and allow myself to get frustrated, allow myself to get amped up. And then it flows really well. So as far as joke writing structure, I'm not always the best resource. There's better books. There's better writers. The one thing I can tell people mentally is get all that shit out of your head. There's nothing you've already decided to get up on stage, right? In my opinion, once you've decided to do something, do it fully or don't even do it at all. Same way I feel about the gym. I also don't, I don't know what you do for Mark. What do you do for martial arts? What do you do? Uh, a whole bunch of stuff, primarily Bruce Lee's martial art, Jeet Kune Do and uh, yeah. Filipino martial arts. The weapons. Bruce Lee's Jeet Kune Do. When, when, Jeet, when he uh, got frustrated with traditional Kung Fu and didn't believe it was complete enough. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I do uh, Muay Thai, I do kickboxing, I do CrossFit and I do all of them very intensely, although I have a knee injury right now. But it's the same thing. And I take my partner to the gym and she crushes it. But what I always tell people is I was like, if you're going to make your way, you spent 20 minutes to get to the gym, don't half-ass. So my same thing with comedy is the thing that frustrates me. I hate it when people quit on a joke. I hate it when people blame the crowd. Your joke is shitty. You're not prepared. Who cares? Go up there, be confident. And that's it. The audience is looking for confidence before anything. Mm -hmm. So that's my process is not giving a shit. <laughs> awesome. All right. We are going to roll right along. And Do I need to stop swearing? Or are you going to bleep these out? No, it, it doesn't. So I either mark it as it's got profanity in it or it doesn't. It doesn't make any difference whatsoever. So no, no worries at all, my friend. You... Do your thing. Sick. Whatever that is. When when do we when do we get started on Israel Palestine? Hot topics on both sides, baby. <laughs> if you want to structure that into <laughs> one of your answers, roll right ahead if it's topical. Right. Let's um, do this, baby. So you you've already kind of spoken to this, but I, I you know, however you'd like to proceed with this, describe something you're working on right now in your comedy. Yeah. Is it a bit, a skill? marketing mm -hmm. are you working on your next hour you know what are you working on right now yeah uh i'm notorious for throwing material out especially because i am new and i write a lot i did my first 30 minutes within my first five months of comedy i did it at a casino when we were touring uh, i did very well as a paid gig 400 dollars, baby come on and it was good it was like 70 to 80 percent there um, I pretty much don't do any of those bits anymore. I have like 15 minutes of reels on my Instagram. I don't use those. Mm -hmm. I hate most of my old comedy. And I think that's natural because I am so new. I still haven't found my voice, but it could be ridiculous unless you're the cream of the crop to say you found your voice in a year and a half. Yeah. I know like, Oh, Bill Burr, like he's president mentioned Bill Burr earlier. It's one of my biggest influences. Bill Burr. I follow a lot of his rise because of how he progressed as in, Bill Burr for his first like five years just did one-liners and traditional humor. Unless you build the respect of yourself and have time to do rants like his, they don't play. You know, you can't do five minutes and rant makes no sense. And you can't do it if nobody knows who you are. 
So I go through and I watch grainy tapes of him from 20 years ago, see what he did in the beginning and then where he's progressed to now. Um, so what I'm doing is I have this big show in Salt Lake in a few weeks and I don't, I have a lot of good submission tapes and I don't really like any of them. I'm kind of uncomfortable with the jokes because they're funny, but I don't think I would love to see me on stage. I think I would think most of it's funny, but I don't think it's honestly me. Mm-hmm. And since we've been traveling and I've been forming more, I had a really good show in San Luis Obispo where I felt like I was being really, really true to the heart and just going out there and talking. And I loved it. And listening to Louis again was the same thing was why am I trying to write bits when I could just be talking like I do? And I had a conversation with one of my best friends recently, and she basically said the same thing. And one of my other friends is they were like, it's funny, but you know, what's so funny about you and with my friends was always, I would rant. It was just, I would get frustrated and I would rant and I turned that into humor. And I think I played it way too safe in the beginning. I know I did in the early beginning. It was really safe. And I've gotten closer to what I like. And now I've been shedding more of that. So uh, I am working on a full 45, but what I'm working on right now is just a good 15 for this next show that's basically all new material and untested because I'm not doing a lot of open mics while I'm on the road. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm not hyper-concerned. I did San Luis Obispo. I did about four minutes of new material that was I wrote a, a couple days prior. I've always kind of panic wrote a few days prior. And what I want is that five, to, the first five minutes of it, especially for submission tapes, to come out hot. One thing I love to do with shows is, uh, for me, the easiest way to ease an audience in is obviously, you know, make a riff about the last comedian if you can, not poking fun at them, just quick thing. They're like, oh, that's a callback. Or because I travel, making a topical joke about that town or city and it crushes. And I'm really good at that. I'm good at getting there early and finding something. But I want to do what Louie does, which is go out there and start immediately with a joke, not even like a, hey, how are you? It's just go in there and start. And I want it to be my voice and my humor. So what I'm working on right now is all new stuff. And instead of it being the news topic, the topical thing, kind of self-effacing, it's back about politics, which I believe in, the state of the country, my travels, my relationship and my past. Um, I did some of it recently. I mean, it just killed. I really, really enjoyed it. And that's my biggest thing is if a joke lands flat, but I enjoy it, then I'm happy. There was a couple jokes in the beginning where music did well, but I, a couple times it'd fail. And I basically just bailed because I was like, I get it. <laughs> you know, I was like, I get why you're not laughing. Um, but if I'm telling something I truly believe is funny, and that's what we've been able to do with the podcast is talk about things we really think is funny, even if it's a little pushy. Um, but I love it. That's the most fun I have because I get to speak with somebody that has a great perspective and is really unique. I want that podcast to explode because I don't know anyone else who's traveling the country, bootstrapping it, um, getting also just like a female immigrant's perspective, you know, not another podcast with no offense to us because you're rotating comedians, but two white guys talking about white guy stuff. Your concept is novel, which I like, you know, and I have a lot of friends who are comedians who have great podcasts, but at the end of the day, it's, it's comics like us talking with other comics like us about nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's fine. I think they're funny, but there's a room to be experimental. So I want Insert Town here to blow up. We're doing many documentaries about local comedy. I have one of them released. Um, longer form podcasts with artists, entrepreneurs, restaurateurs. And I want to be able to do that for years. So I'm going to keep it up. That's awesome, man. Yeah. I, I want to 
especially now that I'm hearing more about it, I want to, you know, take in some of what you're working on. It sounds authentically interesting. So for sure. Uh, would you, and again, some of this you've already spoken to, but we're going to roll through the usual. It's the same questionnaire every time. And every single time I learn something new or hear something new. And so I'm going to, I'm going to stick with it. Uh, cause I like it. So would you describe any positive milestone in your comedy experience? And certainly you can speak to more than one if you'd like to. No, it's pretty easy. This might be the shortest one. It's just doing it. That's it. Um, everything since starting is the icing on the cake because that was 10 years of avoiding it. I, uh, the, the things I had gone through when I was younger, just with mental health and how I had fought it for years, kept me from doing every single thing I ever enjoyed. And it was just self-sabotage and, and self-hatred uh, and really just brutalizing myself. But very few people saw it because I had uh, I was capable of making lots of friends. I have a lot of close friends that I'm very grateful for that pushed me through, a very supportive family. I was always working out. I was trying to maintain my health. I was trying to stay active with mental health. I mean, I did workbooks. I would be really proactive, even though there's a lot of slips here and there. But it was inevitable that those things wouldn't work because I was living a fake life. And the one thing I'm very proud of myself is it was a terrifying experience to go in at the age of 30 with knowing no one, no contacts, nowhere to live, no job, and just showing up in New York. And uh, I went in with sheer confidence. That's it. I just went in, didn't talk about how long I'd been doing it. I mean, that was Caroline's. I didn't tell, you know, the the booker who was a a great guy, love him, but I wasn't like, I went in and said, yeah, I've been doing this for two months. You know, I had to tell everyone I've been doing it for about two. In fact, there's a very, very good comedian who I won't mention, but it was still helpful. I mean, he's been doing it for like 20 years and is crushing. He's a headliner, but he did a showcase one night with us. He did like 15 and I was nervous when we were talking and I was like, I'll be honest with you. I've been doing it for this long. And his tone changed. He was like, all right, I'll be honest. Now I'm pissed. <laughs> That's what he said. And he was like, I, I've had to do this for, and I was, so that was the last time. And now I've been doing it long enough where I can admit it. But yeah. that's the most positive experience to me. Every single time I do a show, I'm grateful. And it's another way that I'm able to progress is by not caring. Because to me, if I, if somebody told me, gun to my head, you have to stop stand up tomorrow, uh, I would be able to be content that I had put this into it. It proved something to myself that I wasn't just making this up in my head. I was going through with it. And that's how I've managed to write this book. I've never, I was a writer. I was a creative writer. I was a journalist. Mm-hmm. Gave that all up. And a lot of people die saying, I have an idea for a book or a script. Well, I wrote a pilot script. I submitted it. Um, got my feedback and rewriting. My book will be done pretty soon. I've done stand-up. So be able to say I've done those things and I've made some money off of it. You know, the rest is, that that's a dream. That's a dream. I couldn't, except for being completely broke right now, I have no complaints about life. But I'm, I mean, man, it's, I'm broke. <laughs> like This is the poorest I've ever been in my life. But I talked to somebody about this recently. As I said, I'm the poorest I've ever been in my life. I'm the happiest. And uh, I owe it to, to this miserable, ridiculous existence of being a amateur up and coming comedian. And if you want to be a comedian, please stop, stop. We we have so many, especially if you're good, leave us alone. <laughs> There's too many comedians. Go away, dude. Go do something else. Be a lawyer. Be a lawyer. Go work on Wall Street. 
<laughs> Excellent. <laughs> All right. Uh, so our next section here. Describe a time that you learned an important comedy lesson by having a negative experience. Yeah. I think about this every single week. I committed a cardinal sin in comedy. I've done this my entire life. My entire life. I'm a wildly impatient person and I'm bullish. So I jump into things before I'm fully prepared. Sometimes that works. Sometimes it doesn't. I've always described myself as a home run hitter. Uh, Either I'm going big or I'm going home in every aspect. And I was pushing really, really hard, really, really fast. And then I pushed into a decent chunk of time. It was the second or third time I'd done a show in Cleveland where I'm from. I didn't start stand-up in Cleveland. I started stand-up in New York. And I went home, and it was a holiday show. And I hadn't solidified new material. I didn't feel like doing my old stuff. It was a really big crowd. It was in a loud location because it's a group that does uh, private like indie shows. And it was at this brewery. It wasn't set up well. It was loud. You could barely hear. Yeah. And uh, I basically advertised it. And I don't like doing shows in front of people I know from back home. Like 15 people came. And I just bombed. <laughs> I just, I, I could tell I was bombing. I floundered. I felt so embarrassed that there were people there who I hadn't seen years who all came out. Uh, that indie production group has not responded to me since the last time. I mean, they're also blowing up and they're a little gatekeepy. Um, so they have some bigger people. They don't totally need me. But it was just one of those moments where it would have been better if I didn't do it at all. And that's the risk I took. And I learned it really quick because after that, I I was playing really fast and loose for a while. I was really fast and loose. I was like, I'll just come up with it on the spot. I don't need to rehearse it. Completely fell through. That one I still think about. I've only bombed seriously twice. And one was an open mic where I got five minutes of no laughter. That was at Black Cat Lower East Side. It was like my third week. I've never returned. <laughs> I'll never go back. Mm-hmm. And I had one joke bomb really hard at Caroline's. And that was another one where I was just, I had went to a bar prior, had a few drinks, saw a commercial and was like, I'm making a joke about that. Opened with it, bombed horrifically, saved it. And then the booker told me, I, I was just like, all right, why don't you rehearse a little bit more? So I'll just go with that one. I, I still... It's going to take me years until some of those people in Ohio see me do a good set. And at that point, I'll feel vindicated. But for now, it's also like my mom grew up in the same the suburb I'm from. She grew up in. And she has a ton of friends, too. My mom and I are similar that way. And, like, I feel so embarrassed sometimes the fact that they have a almost 32-year-old son that at 30 was just like, I'm, I'm going to go just stand up in New York City and just like, disappear. And... You know, so they have to see all this shit on social media. That's the other thing, you know, and nowadays you have to build a presence. Yeah. So I was posting reels long before you should post a reel. Long before. And other people saw it when it's half-baked. What I learned from that is people like your comedy that you've never met. But then you have, like, family friends that are seeing this shit. So my mom gets, like, happy hour drinks with all these people. And a couple of their kids have come to see him. And I just knew those kids went home. Their mom asked, and they were like, he didn't do that. <laughs> so then I just know my mom had to get drinks with these people. And I was like, oh, this is this is the worst thing. She at least used to be able to go to her friends and say, oh, yeah, you know, he's working. He's got this. And now they ask her. And she's like, oh, you know, he's telling jokes about 
drug abuse <laughs> to, to 20 people in the basement of a pub somewhere. That's generous. Three people in the basement somewhere. Um, I learned to tighten things up. That's what I learned. Don't shoot too fast. I remember very quickly, especially at the end of that first tour, I'd said, I'm going to round this up in the summer, which would have been this summer, by doing my first hour in Ohio. Then I said, I'm going to do my first half hour. And then I said, I'm not doing either. Mm -hmm. And now, and as someone who legitimately, if you put a gun in my head, I have an hour of material. It's just disjointed. Uh, I'm working on solidifying 15. Mm -hmm. That's all I want. I want 15 that kills no matter what, no matter where. Not even thinking about the rest. So Nice, man. I... I think it's always hard. I think when you're you're having the people back home think about you in a different way. I, you know, or now now you're a comedian. Um, I just think that's always hard no matter what. No matter have your kids what. seen and uh have your kids seen your stand up? They're pretty young. Well, I no, I got teenagers, man. So Are you serious? Yeah. Yeah. No, I got a sixteen year old and a fourteen year old. So they're yeah. they're my Cause I'm from LA. So when you go out to LA, I got some people I'll get, I'll connect you with some good people if you don't know them already. Um, but no, like a lot of the time they're my guests for bringing. That's awesome. So I know like they, I try not to have them do it all the time. I, you know, it's just like a here and there. Um, and like I'm going to do a zoom show later today here in the living room. So. Um, no, they're kind of watching this and I mean, they're all involved in theater. My daughter just started at a performing arts high school. My wife nice. works for a theater. We're kind of a performing arts family. Um, That's I mean, so cool, man. yeah. Good so. for you guys. I'm really, I, I love your story. That's super cool. Yeah. And you've got such a, such a deeply built, uh, positivity and excitement about you. I, I really, I've always appreciated that, especially in the comedy world. There's Dude, a lot of saying that. Sh- yeah. shaded, shaded people, which is uh, it's tiring, but that's I, so cool, man. Good for you guys. I'm a little, I mean, I'm a little older and I have the, you know, I mean, I've had a, dude, I've been an educator for 20 years. I have yeah. a doctorate. Like I've done a bunch of other stuff. I'm not saying I'm, I'm still trying to figure it out like everybody else. I just, comedy, I seem to get rewarded for being positive and being like pleasant to be around and treating everybody well. Cause we get treated really shitty sometimes. Yeah. And we get exploited. <laughs> so, I mean, like as a producer, yeah. dude, you did one of my shows really early when I started producing, mm-hmm. like I have people coming out of the woodwork just because I try to be positive and, and like I, I do business the way that I do it. And it's like, I get rewarded for being a human being. You know, and and it's like I I kind of figure out the people that I want to continue interacting with and the people that I don't, you know, and it's like even the people that I don't, I hope they'll turn things around in their own self-interest, <laughs> you know, like it, it's more. For uh, yeah. Um, yeah. So um, aside from fame and monetary success. Would you describe what a dream comedy legacy would look like for you? Yeah, I, as far as legacy goes, um, I'm I'm bad at being optimistic about the future, but I do try to visualize sometimes because I think, 
You got to. Uh, I want a Wikipedia that says uh, he was a podcaster, comedian, and author. Um, I would like to go on to be like more of a greater sat- satirist, like uh, d- being the touring author who's allowed to just kind of talk and have conversation. What I want is I want a family and um, I want some land. I don't want to die in L.A. or New York. So I want my partner and I to be able to do our podcast and our writing and our art from home and spend time with our kids. Cause you know, you've got kids and you know how exhausting it is to balance three things at once as raising a family, which I don't even have an idea of yet. Um, I want, I just want to be known as I know I'll have a smaller dedicated audience and I want that audience to be one of people that I'm constantly honest with. I want to be the person who is known to be the same person on stage is off. And that's what I want to do. I want the rest of my life to be involved in the creative field. I never want to have to do anything other than that. I don't want to be a comedian where people see and they say he was funny. And then they ask, like, what do you like about him? They're like, oh, that one bit. I want them to be able to describe who I am as a comic, right? You know, like if you say, well, Bill Burr, they say, well, he's, you know, angry and passionate and thoughtful and he attacks topics. Um, you know what to say about comedians like that. And because I'm still newer at it, if you saw a lot of other comics and that's not anyone's fault, you know, it's mine and anyone else, but they'll be like, yeah, I mean, he was a guy and I like those bits. So I want to be me. I want to be human. And I want to make people think uh, same we do with the podcast. I want to continue to ruffle the feathers like I have. And I, again, I don't set out to do that. I don't say, yeah, man, woke, cancel culture, edgy. Um, I want to talk about things that everyone knows are messed up and frame it in a way. Louis did that, you know, pretty often. George Carlin did that. That was George Carlin's entire life was taking politics and skewering it. And that was kind of 70s comedy. And then it stopped in the 80s because politics weren't as, as aggressive. They stopped in the 90s. So I think Seinfeld was able to be effective because the 90s were kind of a nothing time. It was mostly peaceful up until 2001 when things changed again. And nowadays, political commentary is back in vogue because of how insane everything is. Um, the way things are headed in general, it's <laughs> just everything. I think it's time again to show those things, especially because it, it's not, I am a leftist, like a traditional one. So I don't believe in, I do think people are neutering themselves really heavily. I. Uh, there's no need for that in my opinion. It's just, it's a, it's a ridiculous nature that people sit down, especially comedy shows and they're waiting to get offended by something. It's like they pay money to try to get offended. And I did this bit, my, you know, my partner is Ukrainian and I have this one bit that it's newer and it does really well in most circles. So there's always a couple moans and it's about her as a Ukrainian and the relationship U S has with Ukraine. And it's a quick one. And she loves it. And her family loves it. Ukrainians love it. And most people do. But the last time I did this bit, it was in California. It was notoriously sensitive crowd sometimes. And there was like this group that just went like, oh. And I just, I didn't, I never attacked the crowd, but I kind of snapped for a second. I was like, don't, I was like, you're not actually offended. It's like, do you have the emoji of Ukraine in your Instagram? Like, is that your whole, you know? And so then everyone laughed again. And the fact that they were laughing at that, I was like, see, you weren't offended. Right. You you were programmed. You saw the tweet and the headline and your favorite celebrity said this. And I'm seeing with Palestine and Israel, and I have so many friends who are Israeli, 
um, and some who are, you know, Middle Eastern adjacent to to Palestine, mostly Lebanese. But you see people taking these ridiculous hard black and white stances. And I, I'm just like, is there, is there any nuance or is it the fact that you saw person X and they Instagrammed this? And so now I, I know this. Dude, you're a 27-year-old in Brooklyn who was born in the suburb. What right do you think you have to take some big hard stance on this conflict that is so far beyond anything you can comprehend? But it's thing of today. And her and I talked about the last podcast where we, we were kind of like, well, there goes all the support for Ukraine. Everyone forgot now. It's just like, I want to be known as the guy who said what he wanted and was never edgy. I'm not like, I hate conservative comedians. I want to come out there and say what I want about politics and my audience will show up and they'll be like, yeah, I get it. So that's my legacy is not dying under a bridge, poor and skid row. All right, man. Good. Again, like, what am I going to... What am I going to add on to that? As, uh, am I am I ranting too much? Is not this at getting, all. Is this out of not a, not at all. Um, not at all. This is what my podcast is. It's what for. <laughs> it's just. It's. Just, I'm terrified about how the podcast is going to. We both know we're going to get in trouble down the road because the early episodes. But yeah. it's just like half the time it's just me. Like I'm probably just yelling. My poor Ukrainian girlfriend just sitting there like. <laughs> But uh, no, you don't support Ukraine if you don't watch it. You're a bigot. That's what I say. You racists. All of you racists out there not paying me and my Venmo and my podcast. That's right. They're racist if they don't pay YouTube, Brian. Everyone's, everyone's, that's what I say. It's all racism. (laughs) It's all racism all the way down. Gotcha. Racism at all times. Um, Yeah, buddy. So we're going to take 10 minutes. We're going to wrap things up. Once again, we can go a bit beyond 10 minutes, but we're trying to keep things to about an hour. Um, You're going to remind everybody of everything once again that we can do as far as following you and supporting you. We'll make sure that we have the text as well, you know, where the podcast appears and YouTube and all that good stuff. Uh, And we'll also just kind of round out the episode and wrap things up. Hell yeah. All right. Follow insert town here. Nobody else is doing it like this. It's very fun. And I want, we want more ideas on how to structure it. Originally our plan was to interview like everyone we could, uh, the way we do it. Cause we don't have money is we do a website where you find house sits. So you house it for free. So we pick different towns because of that. We've had less time than we thought in each place. Yeah. So recommendations on how to get a little bit more concise or cool. Because we kind of start structured and then we just ramble at each other and have fun. Um, so I'm going to say that, uh, my God, people, stop supporting large corporations. You're killing me. You're killing me. I have a, one of my bachelor's is in sustainability. I'd originally gone to grad school for environmental policy. We're really screwed right now. So please, <laughs> please stop supporting these big companies. Fight for unions. Vote locally. Unions are the backbone of a country. I'd like that. Um, laugh more, laugh at more stuff. I, I'm so tired of that. Uh, don't tell me that you don't have time for the gym. You had an hour for Netflix. Don't say that crap. Uh, get in better shape. Support your fellow man. Uh, support Israel or Palestine. I don't care. But shut the fuck up about it on social media. Nobody gives a shit. You're not special. You're not helping anything. I don't care. Let me rephrase that. It's very important. Keep protesting. <laughs> don't, don't yell at me either way. Uh, 
book me in your town after I said all that. That's good. Uh, Cleveland Cavaliers are coached so poorly right now. It's killing me. Uh, I hate the New York Knicks. I don't like Knicks fans. I don't like Yankees fans. Uh, LeBron is my favorite player of all time. He's washed right now. Uh, that, he's not washed. He's struggling right now. I will never be a Lakers fan. Um, stop shitting on small, small rural communities. They've been kicked and brainwashed. What's crazy when you travel is you can see how conservatism rises here because uh, they, they, they preach about it at churches. It's really wild that they actually do. So you're just indoctrinated into this system. And it's very hard to break out of. And it's the same thing you see in like in poor urban communities and poor rural communities. They're just kind of forgotten and left to the side. But I think as liberals and leftists, we often just beat down poor rural communities um, while making excuses for other marginalized communities. And that's just not going to help. People are never going to vote the way you think. They're never going to feel like part of a community when they're constantly being ostracized. Uh, that doesn't mean that they're not all, some of these are just insane rednecks. We feel very uncomfortable. The last place we're in, we got followed. We were taking photos because she's a photographer and this car literally followed us and like stopped. And so that was wild. But thankfully, we we're both white. So they left us alone. So, you know, <laughs> thank God uh, we were able to get away with that one. Love your fellow man. It's ridiculous. We're all the same people. Gay, black, trans, anything else. Uh, life is hard enough without doing that crap. Um, mental health is worse it's ever been in this country. And if you're at a low point, do anything you want. Get a new haircut, shave your head, grow your hair, get a new job, quit your job, never work again, work every day of your life. Go to the gym, don't go to the gym. Just do that thing that you've always wanted to um, because there's somebody that didn't do what they wanted to most of his life. It weighs on you and you'll, you'll, you'll never stop thinking about it. And I promise you that your life will go on and will be a million times better if you just pick up one thing you wanted to do and do it, because at least if you suck at it, you can go to bed at night saying, I tried and I sucked at it and that's okay. So that's what I say to everyone. You'll get more inspiration like that on the Insert Town Here podcast, the Insert Town Here YouTube channel, Insert Town Here merchandise, which we don't have. You can follow me at Denison underscore underscore S. Although I might have to go private soon because I'm not getting hired at any job. And I think the fact that my name is Dennison Sleeper, given that there's only one on planet Earth, they Google my name and then I'm done. And then they won't hire me. So hire me. You know, I, I'm good. Uh, buy the book Commune, which will not be out by the time this podcast is. But it might be soon. And if I have to self-publish it, please God help us. Uh, I think that's everything. Give us suggestions, guys. Tell us where to go. What, what do you want to plug, Brian, other than the podcast? Um, I yeah. Like so... Chester? I'm sorry. Leicester, like Lancaster, where Leicester. I know it's it's Leicester. You would never think it was pronounced that way, right? Based on <laughs> God, so, I'm sh- I'm showing my Cleveland education. That's I think I was doing the same thing until I looked it up. Yeah, so uh February I'll be in Leicester, England uh the 20th through the 25th. Uh I'm at the Globe Pub and Kitchen 9 p.m. show for all five of those shows. Uh, 75 minute version of Celebrity Girlfriend Draft is the, the show that I've been taking around. Um, Brian with a Y, you know, spelled properly. Brian Stoops Comedy, uh, will help you find me most places. 
and uh, we'll make sure we get everything that Denison just went over, like I said, so that we have it in text form and you can follow him and support his podcast and uh, you can you can subscribe to me on YouTube and follow this podcast and follow me on social media and all the stuff that really helps. That way, Denison and I are cross-pollinating um, with our relative audiences. I, I'm not spending a lot of time on here. I don't feel like you ranted. Um, I really don't, Denison, talking about what's going on in the world, because honestly... Uh, I'm kind of over it and I, yeah, buddy. I, I'm an educator. And so I'm trying to be up in front of young people, um, looking like I'm positive and that the things that we're doing are important and they are, and I am a positive person, but some days, uh, I really got to fake it. But, um, so I'm, when it comes to comedy, it's, it's not so much focused on the politics Right now, um, it's a little bit more user-friendly uh, for my own sanity. Uh, and I'm not just saying this, but I, I really respect everybody who's just putting themselves out there as far as their beliefs, no matter what those beliefs are, unless they're racism and homophobia, <laughs> you know, and all that kind of stuff, in which case, fuck you. Um, we have enough of that Basically. energy. Uh, but yeah, man, I, I had a, a, an absolute blast talking to you. I appreciate you taking the time and we'll make sure that, you know, everybody knows about the episode when it's available. It won't be this Monday, the 30th of October. It'll be the following Monday, early November. Uh, that's when this will be released, but we'll shout it from the rooftops. And in the meantime, man, I'm just really happy for you. Like, I'm happy so what for you. I'm hoping for you is that some money comes your way, but you saying you're the happiest you've ever been in your entire life, um, how I've known you and what I've known of you, when you hear somebody that you admire that you know is putting good things and good energy out into the world, making that statement, that's that like seriously, dude, warms my heart and like couldn't ask for anything better. And so let's just have the monetary. Um, Cause money, I really do believe this to say that money is not important is an oversimplification. Money is a tool. And so if we can all support Dennison and his partner, then he has the tool to start spreading his message a little bit further and a little bit wider and kind of perpetuate that happiness for more and more people. So I'm thrilled for you, man. I'm really grateful you could make the time today to be on zoom and record this episode. So thank you. Thank you. This is fun. I wish you the best of luck with this continuation and in England, go sock it to those limey traders. <laughs> I I think they like my, uh, my Fraser crane S diction. I think that's a good, they're like, <laughs> oh, uh, you know, an American who can actually speak yes. this language that we invented and we can understand what he's saying. I think yes. that works for me uh, when I go over to the UK. But uh, Dennison, thank you so much, man. I really appreciate it, seriously. And and thank you for all the insight and all your positivity. And again, just sharing who you are um, on this episode. Really appreciate it. Anytime, buddy. Thank you.
Thanks, man. All right. Thanks so much, everybody. Please make sure you are supporting both of us. And I hope you've enjoyed this super awesome episode of the 96 Person Bringer podcast. I am your host, Brian Stoops. And bye for now, everybody. See you next time.